When I covered the airline industry in the mid-1990s as a reporter for the New York Times, it was a particularly turbulent time in the business, and some of the executives running the carriers were larger-than-life characters. The airline industry, I realized, was like the National Football League. There are team colors and logos, and people have strong passions about which teams they love and hate. Each team has roughly the same equipment, and, as in football, the playing field is reasonably level. One airline can instantly copy an effective strategy from a competitor, whether it's a fair sale or a new twist to the frequent flyer program. Like defensive and offensive players in football, the employees of each airline are organized into their own specialized units. Pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, baggage handlers, gate agents, white-collar workers. I found that what really made the difference from one airline to another was leadership. The culture and tone started at the top, and the companies reflected the personalities of their CEOs, whether it was Robert Crandall at American, Herb Kelleher at Southwest, Stephen Wolf at United, or Gordon Bethune at Continental. The leaders who understood how to get their employees to work together as a team had an advantage. Gordon Bethune, in particular, faced a difficult challenge in 1994 when he took over Continental, which had made trips through bankruptcy court and had become a punchline for airline jokes on late-night TV. He figured out a simple plan about what mattered to customers and promised to share rewards with the entire workforce if they hit certain performance measures better than their competitors. He believed that the additional revenue from pulling away premium customers from Continental's competitors and the reduced cost from a better on-time record would more than justify the cost of paying out some of the benefits to workers. What you measure is what gets accomplished, Bethune told me during one of several conversations we had in the mid-1990s. Most businesses fail because they want the right things, but measure the wrong things, and they get the wrong results, he said. Bethune was fast on his feet with expressions that crystallized a problem or question. He didn't apologize, for example, for bringing in high-priced talent from the outside to join his management team. You can hire a brain surgeon, or you can hire a proctologist at half price who wants to learn, he said. He invested in better service and employee morale instead of single-mindedly cutting costs. You can make a pizza so cheap nobody will buy it, he was fond of saying. He understood that basic ideas were reliable tools, and his turnaround success at Continental brought credibility to his keep-it-simple approach. No jargon, no theories, just memorable insights and stories from a CEO that had the ring of truth. If you say three things in a row that make sense, people will vote for you, he said. And one good story about leadership and management from an executive who has worked hard to learn it is equal to ten theories— about what should be or could be done in a certain situation. I discovered over the course of in-depth interviews with more than 70 CEOs and other high-ranking executives that they all have remarkable stories to tell, filled with insights and lessons for others. I've studied the transcripts for patterns and connections and organized them into the chapters that make up the three parts of this book, Succeeding, Managing, and Leading. My goal is not only to offer a new storyline about CEOs as managers, but also to provide some back-to-basics help for managers at all levels of business, particularly since so many of the grand notions about transformative business practices have failed to live up to their billing amid the rubble of the busted economy. Employees have higher expectations of their employers now, too, 
and the companies that can engage them deeply will win the battle for talent. To be sure, not all CEOs are successes, and a falling stock price can be a sign of an executive out of his depth, rather than a lesson in adversity that will make the CEO and his company stronger in the long run. But after interviewing dozens of executives, I was reminded of the first line of Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, All happy families are alike, each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Many of the CEOs I interviewed resembled one another in their approach. They listen, learn, assess what's working, what's not, and why, and then make adjustments. They are quick studies, and they also tend to be good teachers, because they understand the process of learning and can explain what they've learned to others. They seem eager to discuss their hard-earned insights, rather than hold on to them as if they were proprietary software. They shared many of the same notes.